Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's Chris Howard here with you once again from Lace Partners, and as always, very delighted uh, to have you with us for our latest instalment. And our latest instalment is uh, featuring our friends at How Now. And I've got a colleague of mine who I've known for, oh man, it must be a couple of years now, but it's Gary Stringer from How Now. Gary, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I think it's been about close to two years now. Yeah, that's flown by. But then again, in this era that we're living in, you know, we've had a year and a half at least that has just disappeared before our very eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So you've written a blog and that's what I wanted to pick your brains on, I guess, for today's podcast. It's about five workplace trends of 2022. Obviously, we're at the beginning of the year, although we're already into February, which is a bit mad. Before we actually talk specifically about the blog, though, just for those people who don't know who you are and who maybe haven't heard some of the previous podcasts, because we've done two or three podcasts with the guys from How Now before on different topics. And you can see that back catalog through the Lace Partners website. If you just go to the podcast section, you can find it. But just for the benefit of those that maybe have heard your dulcet tones for the first time and those of How Now, can you just explain a little bit about what you do, what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. This is um, I'm completing the hat trick of How Now guests. We've had two of my colleagues on before. Uh, but for anyone who's not heard about How Now before, uh, How Now is the learning experience that really focuses on that idea. Sorry, learning experience platform that really focuses on that idea of the learning experience for the modern learner. So one of the biggest problems in a lot of companies when it comes to L and D is engagement. The idea that if no one's logging into your learning space, if nobody's engaging with the content and if no one's motivated, then everything else essentially is academic. So it's about that idea of really building learning experiences that drive impact and providing people a platform to do that. Uh, My role is content marketing manager. So I do a lot of things from social media posts to email marketing, helping with events, and of course, writing a lot of stuff for the How Now website and blog, um, which is obviously why I'm here speaking with you today. Yeah, brilliant. And let's let's delve straight into the the five workplace trends, actually. And this was interesting. And I wanted to get you on as the writer of it, obviously, because I'm sure there's HR professionals listening to this saying, well, do we want to listen to two, two marketing bots talking about yeah. particular content? But this is based on some really interesting research and surveys, information that you guys have put together. And you've come up with those five sort of workplace trends, that I think are are interesting and worth us unpicking a little bit. So let's start with the first piece, which is about hybrid working here to stay. So just from a how now perspective, you know, how important is it to have managers and employees on the same page? And you talk about that in the piece itself. So if you can just touch on what you talk about in that with that particular workplace trend uh, yeah. and, that, and that element as well. Absolutely. So you're right. I mean, we're two marketing pros, so people might be a bit skeptical. But actually, since I wrote that piece, we hosted a, a webinar about sales training trends that kind of touched onto this. And, and someone called Chris Hatfield was on the, the panel there, and he's the founder of a company called Sales Psyche. And he summed it up really nicely by saying that companies need to inspire people to come in and not demand it. 
so that brings everyone onto the same page, right? If we're communicating what people can learn from each other by coming into the office together, and if we're creating situations where people want to come in rather than forcing them to, we're obviously going to create a better atmosphere. And then over time, we might find that then people change their mindset and we do end up on the same page. So people who might have been reluctant and thought, you know what, I really want to work from home. By the time they come in and realize the benefits of coming in and how much they can learn from their colleagues, how many more meaningful relationships they can build, they, they kind of change that perspective to thinking, well, actually, I quite like coming into the office now. And it's about that idea of, you know, if we demand people to come in, they might resent it. So one, that's not great for culture. It's not really good for people's productivity and overall happiness. And it's not really a culture many of us want to work in. So you mentioned, obviously, there's quite a few studies we reference in the piece. One study showed that 70% of employees thought working from home was a great thing and a positive thing, but seven, the same percentage, 70%, uh, said that they really wanted an office space of some kind to come into. So I think what we're seeing is this even and out of companies and employees really meeting each other in the middle and um, companies making a lot of the time the right demands, not demands, we just said we don't want people to demand they come in, but they're making the right inspiring pitch to people to say, well, come in two days a week and this is the, really the reason why and this is what you're going to get out of it as opposed to saying you have to come back in now three days a week um, because, yeah, really that resentment is never going to be good for culture. Yeah, exactly. And you know one of the things that I'm certainly seeing myself, I mean, we work in a we work office um, as a team. And Aaron has mentioned this on a couple of podcasts previously, this idea of collaboration space, isn't it? I think that's quite important. And it's interesting. Those stats are interesting because um, right now we are talking to each other through the medium of a, um, a, a virtual um, platform. And through that, we're able to run this podcast. You know, I used to run podcast face to face, but actually there's something in that approach that is really really important for both the hybrid and for the office side you know people need to be able to channel their inner creativity don't they and sometimes having that that collaboration space is just as important as being able to say right well today's my time working from home i've got a certain set tasks to be done so it's that balance to be struck isn't it yeah. um, i do like that you, you mentioned a phrase in the uh, in the in the blog which is the biggest change that's happening in people's the biggest change happening is in people's heads. Can you just reflect on that and expand on that again? Yeah, absolutely. I think it links back to what we just said about mindset. So pre-pandemic, working from home was maybe viewed as something less productive. People were at home watching Homes Under the Hammer or waiting for a place <laughs> in the sun to come on, whatever your daytime TV preference is. Um, you know, it was seen as a, an, a, some, a perk to be occasionally rolled out to employees and it wasn't really seen as something that would be widespread. Now it's the norm. Um, employees have shown that, that that myth has been busted. They can be productive from their end. Um, companies can still thrive if people are, are working in a hybrid or remote setting. So now it's really become an expectation. A lot of the time you'll see people talking about their future work plans. They'll, they'll only now work at a company where they can go in one or two days a week. You know, So employers' mindset is, is shifting. Employees are now looking at it and going, you know, next time I apply for a job, it will only be if – it's suitable for me in a sense that I can work from home two or three days a week and, and travel in a couple of days. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of the, the mindset we are seeing is positive. I, I have seen anecdotally quite a few companies that have just completely reverted back to the idea of let's head into the office five days a week. There is no flexibility that time's over, um, which is a real shame. I think they're all missing a trick in, in that sense. But also companies that aren't now modifying that approach to hybrid working are missing a trick as well. So, you know, a lot of us, we were learning on the job when it came to how to work remotely and we were just 
finding like the way to shoehorn in our current ways of working into hybrid but really we need to look at the approach fully now and say well actually you know before it was great we we're all just on a, a zoom meeting but let's look at a real approach and procedure and policy for zoom meetings because for example if um, you know, me and five of my colleagues are in a meeting room in a WeWork and a few people join remotely. It's very easy for that person to just feel disconnected because we'll put one camera on at the end of the table. All they can see is six people. But maybe our policy moving forward is let's make sure everyone brings a laptop to a meeting and each turns a camera on so the people who aren't there in person can see your face. So it's about making those subtle shifts now towards a hybrid working approach that actually makes sense for today rather than just a reactionary hybrid working approach we're saying well join on zoom if you can if you can't you're in person i think it's that intentionality maybe behind it now yeah i'm not sure how many businesses are getting it a hundred percent right and even even little things like where we've run social type of events at lace and you kind of you have people in the office and then you've got people that are dialing in and it's still the balance, I think, still needs to be worked on. But as you said, we're kind of all right. We're all kind of on this journey together and we're all yeah. learning as we go along. And I think if we talk about five workplace trends of 2023, it probably there won't be conversation about hybrid working because it is just I don't want to say I don't want to use that horrible phrase, new normal. So I'm, I've just done yeah. it, but <laughs> we'll gloss over that. But, yeah, do you know what I mean? It's it's almost going to be. It won't even be a conversation piece because we'll have found the solutions that work. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And, and there'll be a real difference then between the companies that do it well and don't do it well. I think that might be what more we're looking at in, in 2023. And obviously the companies that figure it out sooner rather than later, the ones that are going to be able to hire the right talent they want, you know, they will be a more attractive proposition. Whereas if you, you know, it feels a bit chaotic and disorganized still moving into the next year, yeah. then it, that might be a detrimental thing. Yeah, so just one more thing before we move on to the next of your five work workplace trends of 2022. You'd actually touch on the challenges people are facing and concerns about working remotely. You just expand on that a bit because I thought that was interesting in the, in the blog. Yeah, sure. So really what we're talking about there is this idea that when the pandemic started, we all really swiftly moved to remote working. And that was the crystallizing moment for a lot of companies where they, they realized just how much information was being shared unintentionally. So through shoulder taps, you know, I pop over to your desk to chat or I'm making a cup of tea and I just overhear someone talking about the new product launch. So I'm in the loop with that. Um, but, you know, once we lost those organic moments like the shoulder taps and, and the sitting next to a colleague at their desk, a lot of people couldn't figure out where they needed to go for that information. So the big challenge, well, there were two big challenges, really. One was that knowledge was too scattered and two, that was also siloed. So what I mean by that, it, it was hard for people to find information because they were all stored in different places, you know, one's, um, one's on someone's desktop, one's in a shared drive, one's loaded up to your LMS or your learning platform. And the second one is that people had knowledge in their minds, but they weren't sharing it with anyone else. So say, for example, I'm in the sales team and I've, you know, closed 5,000 deals in my time at the company. All the tricks and tips and, and the contextual knowledge I've built up over time is just lodged in my brain. It's not there to be shared with anyone else and that became even more difficult in that mass move to remote working because there wasn't that on the job coaching or that sporadic and spontaneous hey can you just come and coach me through this quick call because i know that you've done it a bunch of times so without doing too much of a shameless plug for how now this is where a platform like how now is great because it creates one central brain for all of your knowledge right what you know i think i read a stat before that 
the average employee can spend up to two hours a day searching for the information they need to do their job right. But if everything's in one place at the end of a single search, it really nullifies that challenge. You know, people can find what they need in the moments of need. And that is when knowledge is most useful because we can apply it. But if you can't find it, if it does take you that two hours to find something, then there's absolutely no chance you're going to be able to break it down and and really um, and sort of use that knowledge. And the other thing is, again, a platform like HowNow can empower people to share knowledge. So a big problem for companies is that when that knowledge is siloed, as in only one person knows it and they leave the company, it creates this leaky bucket where you lose all that information that that person's built up um, because they take it with them and you've not managed to mine that gold, that, that sort of golden nugget of knowledge before they go. Um, so giving some you know people a tool where they can just take all of the knowledge out of their head, share it with their colleagues, or where colleagues, once they're sent that information by a really wise colleague on their team, they can save it to a central place and say, I think this will be really useful for everyone else in the sales team. And then it just carries on building that culture of taking all of the great knowledge from people who've got contextual experience on the job and then making that available to everyone else. Yeah, so that's really the challenge. That challenge just being overcome a bit more. Now, the longer it's gone on, people have realized they need to formalize that a little bit more, I think. Yeah, this is it, isn't it? It's the it's those unknowns, those unspokens that previously when everyone was just sat in an office, it just happened and it, it was like naturally through osmosis. But now people have started to realize that that type of skill, the types of skills and talent that you need to develop as a business, you know, because people move on, you know, whatever, what mm. have you, you need to keep keep that that those capabilities within your organization and the best way to do that is to find a solution that isn't just rely on you know john's knowledge say in the corner because he's as yeah. you said done five thousand deals but let's kick on to uh, the second of the uh, five trends then so breaking up without offices or changing the relationship so um, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about that section and yeah. is, the, is the rise of the flexible office spaces and places like we work the future yeah, I think if most people and most companies were to change their their Facebook status, um, relationship status with their office, it would be as complicated still. I think companies <laughs> are still figuring it out. You know, I speak to friends and they've they've essentially half the office space, but they still haven't worked out quite what that means in terms of who can come in on what days and how do we actually schedule that so we don't end up with, you know, 20% of people above capacity trying a hot desk. But Funnily enough, I'm in a WeWork today, and I think the how now setup we've got here, it, it really reflects that change in relationship. So, for example, we come in one day a week, which is, is Thursdays. The whole team get together. We can collaborate, can have meetings face-to-face, can go for a social afterwards. But the rest of the week is essentially optional. The WeWork card lets you come in any day of the week if you want to. So if the team, you know, marketing team wants to come in on a, on a Tuesday, for example, and plan a bunch of stuff for the month, we can. If I just want to get out of the house for a day, I can. And I think it is creating that sort of flexibility and autonomy in where you, in where you work in a in a true sense. You know, it's not like um, you have to go to a fixed place. You don't have to come in on particular days. You know, even if you know if I've got something on on a Thursday, I don't necessarily have to come in. So I think we are seeing that sort of organic shift to how people work, and it is really changing. Um, funnily enough, we. We had uh, someone called Tusha Agawa, who's uh, the founder of a company called Hubble, and they help companies find flexible office space. He came onto our podcast a, a while ago, and he really talked about the three, uh, the, the sort of main reason for still having a physical office space. And he chalked it up to three C's. He spoke about collaboration, um, culture, and clients. And really, the the idea was that you know if we're meeting up in person 
we can use body language more in meetings. We can share ideas. We can collaborate more. Um, when we're coming in from a cultural perspective, we can create meaningful relationships. So in the same way we spoke about companies not realizing how much knowledge was being shared organically until they moved online. I don't think a lot of companies realized how much being there together in person was shaping their culture. And actually without coming into the office together, maybe they didn't actually have a defined culture. And then the last C on those, uh, on the three Cs was prospects and, and clients. You know, how do you build a great rapport with a client over Zoom um, or an alternative? And, you know, you can really do that, but also a rival or a competitor might be meeting that person face to face. And if it comes down to a very similar product, that could be the deal breaker, basically. So I think we're starting to see companies are figuring it out a lot more, still on the job, I think, but they're realizing actually certain parts of our of our job do require that physical space in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's really interesting. I really like that, the, the culture and the collaboration piece and the client's piece, because it breaks it down into some simple, simple uh, descriptors as to why you need to have all of these elements when you're making those considerations as to the approach that we're going to have a setup for us as a business. But let's move on to the third um, of our five workplace trends, the end of weird office perks. <laughs> what is all that about? Yeah. So I ended up in a bit of a rabbit hole here. So I started <laughs> off with a, a perk box study that showed that in the same way, a lot of things are changing because of the hybrid world the benefits and perks that companies offer also need to follow suit. But it sent me down this rabbit hole of, of roughly about the turn of the sort of decade at 2010, sort of 2010, 2012, it was the peak of weird office perks. People were just thinking, how can we one up each other? So, you know, you had all your standard table tennis tables, pizza Fridays, beer taps, but it, it got really weird. There were some companies that were offering scuba certification as a, an employee perk. Um, there was, certain companies offering a, a posh bog roll guarantee so they would guarantee that the, the toilet paper i guess was a certain ply in their in their toilets uh and the last one which actually now you know i'm a, I'm, I'm getting older i can maybe relate to this one a bit more there was even companies offering botox to employees so you know maybe at the start of 2010 2012 i was at the start of my career i might have turned it down but um you know i'm approaching middle age maybe i would have accepted that one but um yeah really they're kind of it, that era is well and truly over because Perkbox conducted this study where they asked employees what they thought would make them happier in their job. And essentially, none of them had anything to do with being in the office. The, the real thing that linked them together was having a balance. So, for example, 52% said that they wanted employee discounts. And the parameters of that were things like supermarket uh, discounts, eating out, buying clothes. People wanted unlimited or greater amount of holidays. They wanted even, you know, some people even wanted their companies to supplement their Netflix subscription so that when they were, uh, you know, having that downtime in the evening, they, they had something good to watch. But with um, the company perhaps covering that, uh, the only one that really maybe had a little link to the office was that people were asked if they could have free breakfast or lunch, basically. But again, that really doesn't need to be in the office. You could always have something delivered on, on the company's time. So. I think that the study really what was interesting was just this thing that now work-life balance is really taken taken to the fore when it comes to benefits. People don't really want weird and wacky anymore. They want practical and they want things that make sense to them. And then from a company perspective, I think 
the big shift is now companies are thinking more about what aligns to our brand and our people and our culture and our values. You know, it's kind of a cliche back in the day to say, let's, you know, have a drinks trolley come around on Friday. But actually, your, your company might be full, full of more health conscious people or people don't drink for other reasons. So it, it sort of creates that tier of benefits. There's certain people who can use these benefits and there's certain people that can't. But all those examples I just gave from the Perkbox study, the great thing about them is they're universal. And um, that is actually one thing I'm seeing quite anecdotally as well as companies are offering flexible benefits now, or they're going through platforms that, that will allow you to have flexibility. So for example, um, we have access to Charlie HR, uh, that gives us a bunch of benefits. I mean, I ordered a Garmin smartwatch from there the other day, but by the same token, I can also order, I don't know, like Hotel Chocolat through there. So if I want to get a good work-life balance, that's great. Um, and it's really up to me then to pick. So I think there is a great shift now happening. People are just so much more flexible, but also more conscious in, in terms of what fits our company and um, what what's going to be well-received by our people. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. It's organizations that have looked at what they offer. What is our deal that we put to our employees from a from a benefits perspective? And what works for them? Do, have we listened to our people? There's no point in just saying, guess what, guys, we've all got ping pong tables and now yeah. there's a beer fridge. If yeah. culturally your organization just isn't interested in that sort of thing and the and your workers aren't interested in that sort of thing yeah. so i think there's an element in there about listening to your people understanding them getting feedback from them as to what they want but i think you really hit the nail on the head when you talked about that work-life balance i think about my own life and how flexibility is built in now to my working day you know i will go out for a run for an hour during the day because it's light at the moment and it's not as cold when it's dark, but I'll probably be working a little bit longer later on in the day if I've got certain elements to be done. So my work and my personal life almost blend into each other because I'm working from home so much. So yeah. why not? Would you? Why would you not have those benefits also blending into each other? Because people, as you've said in the blog, people want to have that kind of flexibility they want to also have that kind of that balance in the life that they have. So let's move on to the fourth of your uh, five workplace trends. So this is the great resignation. And we've written a blog about this, which I might put in the show notes. And it's written by one of our co-founders, Kathy Akutopolo, on the impact of the great resignation. But what were you guys talking about? And what's the context set for the for the trend of this year that you guys have identified? Yeah, I think really what we're seeing is that one of the ways to tackle the great resignation is to focus on internal mobility. So, you know, people want the opportunity to progress. I, I found this great uh, stat that 70% of employees would be likely to leave their current organization for one that would invest in their development and learning. And 34% of employees who left their previous job did so because they were searching for career development. So I think that is sort of the motivation a lot of the, you know, other than just purpose or or finding meaning in work, that is part of the motivation for this idea of the great resignation. And what I found when I was researching this piece is that internal mobility and hiring from, uh, from within the company is becoming a much more prevalent and a much higher priority. So LinkedIn's 2021 workplace learning report revealed that 51% of L&D pros now reveal internal mobility and internal hiring uh, as a much break, uh, greater priority than it was before COVID. And I think really we can chalk that up to three reasons. One, 
is sometimes it's harder to find talent. So there's no guarantee when you go to market to look for people to fill skill gaps in your company that you're going to find applicants with the right skills. Also, by the same token, it's a more competitive hiring landscape as well now because, you know, I no longer am limited by my location to apply for jobs. I can apply for jobs almost anywhere, essentially, as long as that company is doing what we discussed in the, the first part of this podcast with flexible working and allowing me to work remotely. So there's this idea that even if you go to market to look for talent, you might not necessarily get the skills you're looking for. The second is that it can be key to retaining the, the talent you do have. So, um, you know, those stats we just mentioned there, they show that people will stick around if you offer them a path to progress. Another stat, just to throw one more final stat out there, employees at high internal mobility companies will stay for twice as long as those at their lower mobility counterparts. So um, I think the stat was it's roughly five and a half years compared to about two and a uh, two and three quarters years, so about 2.8 years, is how long people will stay if there's internal mobility and if there isn't. So I think that's really what we're seeing as a key trend. A lot more companies now are turning to upskilling and giving people the skills they need to reach their goals, as opposed to just saying, let's go and hire someone. One, because hiring people obviously costs money a lot of the time. But two, because when we promote from within, people have this level of foundational knowledge that relates to the institution. So for example, I might have never worked in customer success before, but you know, if there's a, a gap to be filled there and I'm interested in entering that, I understand what the product is, I understand who our ideal customer is, I understand the market, I understand the company culture. So if someone wanted to invest in me and my my career by upskilling me into that role, it would take me less time to figure out all the nuances of the company. And again, if people invest in me, that will make sure I stick around. And there's no guarantee that if they went to market, they would find the right skills. And sometimes the hiring process can take two or three months. So that could, again, be lost time that people aren't investing into reaching goals. Instead, they stagnate, um, try and find the right skills and realize they can't find them sometimes. So, yeah, I think that's where a lot of companies sometimes go wrong is overlooking that upskilling area and thinking, that, yeah. you know, what skills do we need to reach our goals? Do people inside the company show a natural aptitude for that or have transferable skills? And how can we harness that? And that way, when you do need to hire for roles, you can do it more meaningfully and with more budget behind you and more intentionally. So you can say, absolutely, this is a role we have to find someone externally for because th there's not really any likely candidate in the company for upskilling. Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting point that you just made there. And I was just thinking in my head, it's both the talent attraction and acquisition side, and it's also the retention side. Yeah. Because if you're joining an organization where you know that you're going to be invested in and your own career development and pathway is going to be more easily mapped out, then you're more likely to join the organization and then also stay the, at the organization yeah. as well. So that all forms part of, as we talked about earlier, the, the deal, if you like, the, the EVP, the employee value proposition of the organization itself. I also think what you've just said there about the internal mobility is is fascinating. And I, I wonder if there's a challenge question to people, HR directors listening to this or, or CPOs listening to this, which is to asking yourself, you know, how good is our strategy with regards to internal mobility? Mm -hmm. Like, Are we making the most of it at this time in which talent in the marketplace is becoming even more expensive and even more difficult to attract? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, another piece of the puzzle there as well is the more you do that, the more you build up a, a reputation as a great employer and your employer brand is stronger. So, you know, think about every time you apply for a job, you go and look at Glassdoor or you look on, you know, LinkedIn, what are people saying about X, Y, and Z company? Or do I know any mutual connections who work at a company? So the more you do invest in people, 
over time, the more that they'll become an advocate for your company in terms of, you know, um, attracting new talent as well. So it's kind of this ongoing cycle of the more you do it, the more you're known for doing it. And, the, you know, you'll be a far more attractive position uh, to attract really high quality talent. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess another thing, uh, I don't have the stat to hand, but I remember reading in one of the LinkedIn reports that um, a certain percentage of, of HR professionals admitted that they were struggling to look at their people data to find meaningful opportunities. So that that links back exactly to what you said. How often are we looking at our, our um, stats and saying, oh, last year we promoted 25% or we filled 25% of our vacancies with internal talent? You know, did that correlate to a better retention rate? So I think you're right. I, I don't know if yeah, it could be a good challenge to people to go away and look at look at all the stats and say, are we doing enough of promoting people from within? And if not, how can we remedy that? And, you know, is our retention rate particularly good? If not, does that upskilling play a role in that? No, brilliant. Um, let's move as we're just coming towards the end of the pod and we've got just the final the fifth of the uh, of the, the five yeah. uh, and that was managing employee well-being and mental health better now this one is uh, we've certainly talked about a lot at lace partners we've done a couple of podcasts around it around also things like the financial well-being you know we've run um, a, a podcast with uh, organizations that provide those kind of services those real-time payments which can then be plugged into organizations and they can then give you know that more flexible earned wage access uh, to uh, to employees can you just touch on it just from this blog's perspective but then also a how now perspective yeah so yeah, this is coming back to the stat that two thirds of employees in a particular survey said that they think that their employers are supporting their mental health, and I think that is a shift we are seeing. You know, I I don't have direct contact with our customers, but I overhear a lot of what our customer success team is saying, and I hear a lot of great things from companies that are moving to four day working weeks to a lot of companies that are using Spill as an add on to Slack that sort of gives people moments to um, to access therapy or resources that support them in the flow of work as they're working in Slack. And also, uh, you know, just seeing a lot of companies add in more content to their learning space to support people um, with their well-being. So, you know, how to sleep better, um, meditation uh, sessions, you know, how to manage anxiety better. I think there's a lot more content now being added with that intention. Um, and I think a great opportunity for a lot of companies that I've seen as well is when they get to something like mental health awareness week they don't just use it as like a one-week token effort but as a springboard to carry on doing things throughout the year and that's something i've noticed personally as well so yeah i think that trend is is something that really will grow in in the coming year um people will really start being more intentional with that as well and, and again going back to what we said earlier i think they'll start thinking about what makes sense from our brand perspective you know, have we got a really collaborative culture? Does it make sense that there might be people on the team that are willing to share their experiences and, and therefore create that culture of openness, but also, you know, give someone a platform to share their own experiences? So I think that's something will happen across the rest of the year. Yeah. So that's um, those were the five. And it really is an interesting piece to read. We'll put a link in the you guys did it obviously pre-Christmas. Um, mm. I think a lot of the discussion points are still relevant. And certainly it might be interesting for us to have a little bit of a catch up towards the end of the year and just see how things are evolving and, yes. and, and what has evolved over the course of the year. But Gary, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on. 
Uh, it's been brilliant. And you can obviously get this podcast through all of the areas that you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, if you go onto Apple Podcasts, you can find us. And if you ask your Alexa device, if you have an Alexa device at home to play the HR on the Offensive podcast, you'll get the latest of our editions uh, that we release every single Thursday. And if you go to the Lays Partners website, you can actually find us, our podcast uh, catalogue, as well as our blog content, our webinars and video content as well on uh, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast so that'll take you to our insight section but thank you very much for joining uh, me thank you very much to my guest gary and we will see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye, -bye.